tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. Legal Conversations. Well, uh, let's welcome our 18 guests uh, talking about uh, the um, electoral amendment bill that has uh, currently been put out into uh, Parliament. We are aware that this particular bill is one that was set to permit individuals to contest elections, right? And it has been argued to broaden the options for people like you and I to have more options and more choices outside of political parties. However, um, 22 civil society organizations sent a letter that they are very concerned about the electoral amendment bill. Um, and this letter was sent to the committee, the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs, questioning whether the bill will be constitutional once enacted because it went with the minority view of a ministerial advisory committee on what form the amendment should take. We are joined by an electoral expert, Michael Atkins. Michael, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. And our other guest is Rachel Fisher, who is uh, from the organization under undoing tax abuse, Alta, and uh, she does a parliament engagement. Uh, thank you very much, Rachel, for joining us. Thank you so much, Patricia. Hello, Mike, and uh, good evening to our listeners. I'm going to start off with you, uh, Michael. Uh, let's talk about uh, where we currently stand and where uh, the process has gone thus far when it comes to the Electoral Amendment Bill. Yes, the uh, bill was introduced to the committee in January this year, and the committee has worked very hard through much of the year. But... Um, I think they've experienced a number of difficulties reconciling the system that was chosen in the drafting of the bill, the system chosen by the Minister of Home Affairs. So uh, the bill has gone through committee. We've had two rounds of public submissions. The uh, Home Affairs Committee in Parliament is currently uh, right at the the cusp of uh, finalising their draft of the bill. They have a a clause-by-clause discussion tomorrow morning, and the committee will likely approve the bill tomorrow or soon, and then the National Assembly is likely to approve the bill in the last week of October, after which it goes to the National Council of Provinces and then to the President for signing. Now, I'm coming to you, Rachel. Why is it that uh, civil society organizations are saying they are very concerned about this electoral amendment bill? What is the main concern? So what they are dealing with, and we should understand that there is an ecosystem in which this is taking place. So it's not only the content of the bill that civil society organizations are finding fault with, but also the process surrounding this bill. Now, some of the items that we find concern with is uh, the regions. Regions is just another term for the provinces, the nine provinces in which uh, political parties and independent candidates can stand in. So an independent candidate can choose to stand in multiple regions say, for example, in the Western Cape province and Gauteng. But if they then select after the voting has taken place to stand for Gauteng, the votes cast for them in Western Cape will be thrown away. So essentially, everybody that voted for this person in another province 
stood in that queue for no reason. These votes are not aggregated, so an independent candidate does not get the benefits of the total votes of Western Cape and Gauteng. So that is a problem. Okay, before, Another you, go item, further, before hmm. you go further, Rachel, let me come to yes. Michael on that very point. Michael, on the very point that Rachel has raised, uh, this is clearly not how uh, it works for um, political parties, but it will work this way according to the amendment bill, um, electoral amendment bill for individuals who are coming in and contesting elections. So it doesn't seem very fair, does it? The, you're correct. What happens, though, is that we have a proportional representation system and individuals have simply been slotted in alongside parties on the same proportional representation system. And as we know, an individual can only take up one seat regardless of how many votes they obtain. So there are going to be this kind of contradiction coming up in in various different ways because the idea of proportional representation is a party system. So the, by trying to do a convenient, quick-fix type of system, they've actually created a lot of complications that they hadn't anticipated. Mm. Okay, so what then could remedy this particular one? Because I want Rachel to continue uh, informing us about the challenges that they've found as Alta. But what mm. could remedy this uh, situation of votes not going, um, you know, for various provinces, although people have stood in the queues and cast their votes in various provinces for a particular individual? The only way to accommodate individuals and parties in the same system is to have something similar to our local government, where you have constituencies where individuals can stand, but then a separate proportional representation ballot. Uh, to balance out the overall proportionality which the Constitution requires. So the individuals, the independent candidates, have a fair shot at winning a seat in their constituency, but overall the parties are still evenly represented in Parliament. And something along the lines of our local government is essentially what everyone is saying is the only way that uh, we can make this fair and constitutional. Mm. All right, I'm coming back to you, Rachel. Um, so, A-teamers, uh, please do weigh in on this. What are your thoughts on the Electoral Amendment Bill as it stands? Do you feel that we need more options? Individuals can come up. In fact, adult citizens may come up to be elected for the National Assembly and Provincial Legislature, and uh, this will be outside of political parties. We've seen there's a lot of fractions in political parties, ins and outs, people mm-hmm. leaving. Maybe this has also frustrated you, and maybe you want to raise your hand up and say, vote for me, um, and and that's what you want to tell us. Well, do weigh in on the conversation. I'd really love to hear your views. We're about to go to the polls. Uh, 24 months is not much. Uh, 086-000 02032. That's where you can call in or send a WhatsApp on 0614104107. I'm coming back to you, Rachel. On these concerns, um, you say you cited that there are more concerns. Oh yes. Another concern is the seat allocation. Now this touches also on what Mike spoke of on the proportional representation system that we have. So what is happening in this current poll is that an independent candidate is only eligible to stand then as either a member of National Assembly, so one of the 200 seats allocated for National Assembly, 
or provincial legislator. They, of course, being an independent candidate, you are only one. So if you get sufficient votes for two seats, you cannot take both seats and nominate somebody else to stand in your stead, which also particularly makes it very difficult because once again, we are dealing with wasted votes. And if the citizens voted for you, it clearly means they prefer an independent candidate over a political party, but they do not get the benefit of that seat for an independent candidate. Sure. So it, it is uh, seeming like a dicey one for uh, independent or individual adults who want to um, uh, come up and contest elections. It's one that yes. will obviously need more communication and more outlining. Uh, Michael, is there still room and time for this amendment bill to be sharpened? Uh, I, I'm going to say something quite inconvenient at this point. Mm. The answer is no. We Parliament in 2020, in August 2020, they had a timeline worked out to make a constituency system, which is the correct way. That timeline required the bill to be drafted during September 2020. Nothing Mm -hmm. happened for six months, after which the minister then appointed a ministerial advisory committee. They then reported in June 2021 and nothing happened for a further four months, by which Mm. time it was too late for a constituency system to be implemented. So the awkward answer is no, this bill cannot be fixed and we cannot have a fair constitutional system in time for 2024 because the IEC still has to prepare on a new system. So it means we're going ahead with this bill as it is. Does uh, uh, you know the the, the letters sent uh, to um, the around this sent to the portfolio committee on home affairs? Do those letters not uh, put any pressure? Sure. You know, I, sorry, Rachel, please go ahead. Yes, um, that that is a loaded question and very very important to ask. So, as Michael indicated, there were two rounds of public participation in March and in September. And in between and with each of these rounds, we have consistently asked to engage directly with the portfolio committee so that the technicalities can be discussed. Mike has done very detailed um, analyses of the models and how it would work. And uh, we really wanted to engage with the minister but we did not get these invites for a type of a civil society in Zaba where we could work collaboratively. They are very much aware that we have these submissions, we have these issues, but even in the most recent meeting of the past Friday, um, some of the members of the portfolio committee indicated that they feel this iteration of the amendment bill with the A-list additions and changes made sufficiently captures the issues that were raised during the public participation round, which definitely is not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other issues, just to quickly also mention, is the barriers to entry, uh, one of which is the signature requirement. So that is the number of signatures an independent candidate requires to stand. Now, There's a massive problem with this because the current argument, and it seems to be the one that they will accept, 
is that 20% of the quota for a seat, um, which is, let's say, roughly 10,000 votes or signatures, must be collected together with the ID numbers of citizens to show that this independent candidate is serious. Now, a political party only requires 1,000 of these signatures to qualify for such for the election. Now, we can clearly see um, the unfairness in these number of signatures required. And this was something that we have once again emphasized throughout this process. And the portfolio committee has not taken that into consideration. They are sticking with this 20% quota for the seat. Mm. Okay. Go go ahead, Michael. Go ahead. I've got an an A-team Agorle who's on the line, but we'll speak to him after you have commented. The committee received legal advice that the 30% of the quota requirement was perhaps unconstitutional. So the committee then changed it to 20%. But they didn't give us any reason why 20% would be acceptable if 30% wasn't. So they brought the number of signatures required from 13,000 down to, say, 9,000. But if if 13,000 was bad, well, 9,000 is still also going to be bad. So, yeah, there are some question marks over the reasoning used for their decisions. Okay. Uh, Let me go to the lines. Eti Magore, good evening. Good evening, Patricia. How are you? I'm strong. It's been a long time since I've heard from you. Glad you're calling yeah, in. Yeah, it's been long. I have been listening to other ATMs. Mm, oh, that's good. And you've been listening to the yes. show. That's the good thing. So yes, w- what I do you think. want to ask or weigh in Look, on? I think this this bill will take a very long way. Maybe it is by coincidence or by design that the political parties delayed dealing with it because they are scared that it may ruffle their feathers come to it in the four. You can see the party that was forming the Sutu seven months before election. It went to trump all the parties. But I haven't gone through the bill itself specifically. But what I gather is that in, in, in when we use common sense and logic, it seems unfair that an individual who wants to stand as a as a candidate will require more signatures than the party that is collectively representing many people, which was supposed mm-hmm. to be the other way around. That is the logical one. But also the complexity of this independent uh, candidate when it comes to national and provincial government is that in the municipality, it's fine in the ward, uh, but the independent lose the proportional representation because they won't have it. It's an independent person who will go alone. If you get 20%, how will you allocate it to somebody else to come along with you? That is why maybe Musima Inmane came with this party of having a party-like but of independence so that they should not lose the proportional representation. But I don't know how it will work in the national and provincial government that if this person in this area wins so much party, will he have a certain number that he will say, I've got four seats now. I can go along with other four people because I was independent. So those, those are the technicalities that the bill needs to address as well. Thank you. Gore, thank you so very much uh, for giving us your views there. Let me come uh, to you, uh, uh, Rachel. What are your thoughts on what Gore has cited? I really do appreciate that he said he hasn't studied the bill in detail. And that is exactly why we are weighing in on this whole discussion. Because this bill is extremely complex. And 
working within the public's interest is not only being a voice for the public, but it's also to consider the perspective of the general public that is not aware of all these happenings within Parliament and are essentially alienated from this process. But how does it impact them? Now, coming back then to the question is, what we would have liked to see within the ball, as Mike indicated, is some form of a constituency system that are smaller demarcated areas that will allow for a greater representation of independence within National Assembly. But as Mike said, it's, it's too late now, um, amending this bill in such a way that it could meet this threshold we would like. So what is the fallback option? It's most likely to have some form of a, let's say, an independent candidate coalition or association or a support group. Because essentially, what is the difficulty we have with political parties? On a closed party list, we cannot decide who the MPs are of the political parties that are voted in. They get decided on by the party themselves. So it is very difficult to pinpoint the MP that should be representing your region and hold them to account if they fail to deliver on the services they ought to deliver on. If you vote for an independent candidate, you know their name, you know where they live, you know where to find them, hopefully you have their number, and you can bother them and force them to be accountable. So it is difficult if it's just one person. If we have some form of an alliance, coalition, consortium, whatever one might call it, then this body effectively will hold each other to account, similar to what a party should be. But it is still the responsibility of the individual to do what they are supposed to do for the public's interest. Michael, would you like to weigh in on a technical yes. point of view from what uh, Gore has said? Um, okay, you see... I agree, certainly on the signature requirement with the, the sentiment raised. And essentially what I'm seeing is that we have to negotiate what happens in 2024, which is a delicate situation and the, 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 the short time, and then separately have a wider conversation where the public mm -hmm. is fully informed. And the wider conversation should actually present perhaps two options to the public as to which is the best form of constituency. And there needs to be a far greater education and public discussion mm. before a bill is presented. We were given a bill. We weren't given a choice of this system or that system. Mm. When there is electoral reform in any other country, the, the public has a meaningful discussion should we stay with the current system or move to a new system? Which one is the best? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? And the, the fact of people not being aware of it shows that there is none of that kind of conversation that is happening in the country. We are having to come after the fact with a bill chosen by the minister and mm. say, no, there's a problem here. There's a problem there. So in the short term, we've got a real problem for 2024, and we have to negotiate that. But we can't let the future of elections in our country be decided by a badly chosen bill. We actually need to start again and have a new conversation 
should we have this kind of constituency or that kind of constituency, the, 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 the benefits and, and, and the, the disadvantages of each? And there has to be much more space for the public to engage the issue. And I think that's uh, what the public will require, the space to engage. But then, like you said earlier, the time, TikTok is not really there. Okay, let's uh, go to the voice notes from our A-teamers. Good evening, Patty. Oh, yeah. You know what? I raise up my hand. I can be a president of this country. All right. And I'm telling you, I can fix it overnight. How? First of all, I got to make sure that the law and order is restored. You rape, you are castrated. You kill, you'll be killed. On the national television, everybody's got to see you Oof. going down. Gruesome, okay. Everybody's got to see you when you, your neck snaps. Oh. And I can fix a whole lot of things here. The economy and everything else. And the borders will be airtight. Not watertight, but airtight. I can fix this country. I think the time has come for us, the individuals, to stand up. The ANC has failed us, and now is the time. Matibang, thank you. All right. Uh, I, I hear this A-teamer. Oh, that means uh, if you were to be president, uh, Matibang, it uh, would mean that the entire constitution would need to be uh, revamped and changed around. We're still struggling with this electoral amendment bill. If we were to vote you in. <laughs> but Rachel, you see, the, the some independents, and I'm sure they've got a valid reasons for having the thought uh, process that they have on how they would change things if they were to be elected. Um, but some of it would then open up another can of worms. How would we, how would, as much as we want variety and we want independence and we want pure democracy, how would we then hone in that we don't get a leader becoming uh, somewhat of a, a dictator and then changing a constitution that is yet to be properly implemented and upheld? Well, so we have to acknowledge that having an independent candidate stand and, and having an electoral act that properly accommodates independence, it's not the silver bullet that is going to fix all our problems. Mm -hmm. There are structural problems still at hand. So if we look at Parliament as it currently is, we are sitting with a majority party. We are sitting with an opposition party. And then we have several other parties and then very, very minority parties that really need to scramble. They, the members um, of parliament sit on multiple portfolio committees. They've got their hands full in order to at least give an opposition view to the majority party if they do not understand or they do not agree with the point rather. So when independent candidates actually come across and they successfully um, you know, transcend these barriers, the signatures and the regions, and then they get enough votes, and then they get their one seat. We don't know how many people and independent candidates are going to achieve this. Once they do achieve this, what is the size and the allocation going to be? How big is the group going to be? Will we still have some form of a, a majority party? Will there be some form of a coalition? And does this mean the independents are still going to have a minority um, 
opportunity within Parliament. So can they really effect change if there's only a couple of votes um, that need to be cast? So we really need to consider the structural issues within Parliament and how minority parties and independent candidates can really give weight behind their opinions. Let me go to another voice note here. Good evening, Timas. I heard Michael saying this might be signed into law by the end of October. Uh, Mike, do you think that the civil rights organization are wasting their time here? This horse maybe has bolted already. Mm, Michael, please do weigh in. But, <laughs> good question. Um, it may be that there is nothing formally that can be done by the civil society bodies right now. Um, they, they are making their voice heard and increasingly so. There is also the appeal to the office of the president to say not, we don't like this, but rather to say there are serious constitutional concerns. And the president has a duty, if he has constitutional concerns over any piece of legislation, he has the duty firstly to refer it back to parliament if Parliament does not resolve those constitutional problems satisfactorily, the President then has the option of referring a bill to the Constitutional Court. Now, this would be the ideal situation, and the calls and clamour and organising by civil society bodies, as well as sort of those of us who've done more detailed uh, analysis, if this is presented to the Presidency, and the president takes, and, and the president's office takes this seriously, there is a very reasonable prospect that they will refer it back to parliament and then after that to the constitutional court, which is where many of us feel this bill should be. It should be tested in the constitutional court. And I feel that the, call it the pressure, call it the, the, the protests, whatever it is, the activism of civil society, can play a role in bringing to the attention of the president and the president's office that this needs to be taken seriously, which would give us the shortest route to the constitutional court. And that is the place where the bill will be hammered out and tested. It, it is inconceivable that we have an electoral system which brings unfair elections. It's inconceivable that we have an electoral system that takes a portion of the vote I cast and either discards it or hands it to the largest parties. You know, they, they, these are serious concerns that have been raised. So hopefully the attention that this is getting, and, and this is why it's, uh, even appearing on your show is, is great, the attention that this is getting may bring to the presidency the awareness that they must apply their minds. And if we then get into the constitutional court quickly, it is the most efficient way to resolve the, the disputes and the problems. So here's a, a message via WhatsApp that says the bill as it stands now is riddled with a whole lot of shortcomings and extremely biased. More voice notes. <laughs> good, good evening. It's JJ here from Pulukwan. Our biggest problem, firstly, is that we don't know what, what we want. Uh, that is a very big problem and we confuse things always. For instance, we claim that there is independence in the municipalities and all those type of things. 
and there is no independence in the municipalities. In the municipalities, there are ward councillors. Those ward councillors, anybody, everybody can compete. That's why the political parties are fielding their own political members. So you can't call it an independent. There is no such. What is it that we want? If we want people to participate as individuals, let's allow them to participate as individuals. We don't even have to divide anything. We have got nine provinces. Those people who want to participate in the province, let's allow them to participate in the province. How do we determine the numbers? When we allocate numbers to the uh, parties, we count one, one, one. Why can't we do the same? All right, I thought there were more voice notes. Okay, Phineas? Why? Evening, uh, I do agree with the caller that uh, they just uh, went down now, uh, they just came off now, and I'm so traumatized. Uh, uh, after uh, these people put me in the boot uh, at gunpoint and took and took the car from me, and the car has never been recovered even, even today. So. Whoever kills by a gun must die by a gun. Whoever rapes must face, must also be raped. That, that is something that I agree with. Those who are causing a pain to other people must face the music the way they do it. Who kills must, be, who kills must also be killed. Simple as that. I'm going now to our A-teamers on the line. I've got A-teamer Miles. Good evening. Yeah, good evening. Thank you for taking my call. I hear fellow South Africans complaining and have a, a, a gripe on the electoral bill. Mm-hmm. We, we are not even there. We are very far behind, regardless of the fact that from day one, sentenced and unsentenced prisoners were allowed to cast their votes. The reason why I'm saying that they are deliberately sabotaged since time immemorial because if you do not register, you cannot vote. And you cannot vote if you don't have your ID with you in prison. And most of them don't have their IDs in their pockets. And if you want a temporary ID, you must pay anything between 120 to 110 to get a temporary ID. I mean, uh, that result in disenfranchisement of hundreds and thousands of sentenced and unsentenced prisoners. One. Number two, political parties are not even allowed to go in there and campaign and canvass to say you can vote for this party because this is what the party is going to do in terms of, of transforming the criminal justice system, the police act, the correction services act. Even... even uh, 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 material, propaganda material and manifestos are not allowed. Now, how do you do all these things in a democratic, uh, political and constitutional democracy? You give the people a constitutional right to vote, you deprive them because of IDs, uh, but they are state property. When you are in prison, you are state property, but you must pay for a temporary ID. And we have encouraged the Department of Justice and Correction Services, IEC, we have uh, encourage the Department of Home Affairs, Finance, and the President's Office that 
They must make sure that each and every person behind bars, whether you're sentenced or not, you must be positively identified. If you don't have an ID, the state must get an ID for you because you are a state property without paying. Now, the argument outside there, no, we outside here, we pay. Why must criminals not pay? Well, it's a debate for another day. Now, whilst people are grappling around the bill, the electoral bill, we are very far behind. And one wonders, you know, why must we be regarded as a country in Africa which allowed prisoners and awaiting trials to vote and yet they get sabotage or the small line and thing. So that is why we are looking for a political party that would understand why we can use the votes of sentenced and unsentenced prisoners to fight crime and violence and the causes thereof. So, Miles, I'm hearing all the plights that you are you are putting forward. Do you feel that uh, then, if an individual was um, you know uh, elected, that would perhaps bring the changes? Look, we can use our our votes to make sure that rehabilitation becomes a reality in our systems. Now, rehabilitation is just a buzzword. Now, when you vote and you use your vote and you get a political party you vote for that understands that that vote would make sure that everything needs to be transformed because the country is in transition. The country is not stagnant. It is transforming every day. That you use your vote, your vote is your voice, and programs are implemented in prison so that you come out a useful, a productive, and a very... uh, uh, law-abiding citizens so that you don't fall back into the criminal justice system a week or two, three weeks after being in prison. Okay. Now, rehabilitation is an investment. An investment mm. could, could only be done when we have it. We are looking for a political party, I hope they are listening, that can take these votes. There are 185,000 people behind us. I'm not talking about those who are out on pain, out on parole, and their relatives and their friends and so on. I'm talking about headcount, 165 to 185,000 people a day. And research tell us every year, over 1.8 million people traffic the police cells in and out, court cells in and out, prison cells in and out. Well, Miles, you know what? If uh, the political parties aren't listening, I'm sure there are individuals who are listening, (laughs) who are putting their hands up and saying, Look, I need those votes. Maybe you should stand for an independent candidate, Miles, eh? Oh, no, I'm I'm, I'm too old now and I'm too destructive. They call me a loose cannon. All right, let's leave it at that, Miles. Um, Thank you very much for for calling in. I'm going to Aitima Pumzile. Pumzile, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Strong, how are you? Great, man. Great. Good evening to the guests as well. But I remember we spoke not so long ago, but you don't you don't interact with me too often. What, what's the matter? Yeah, don't you, don't yeah. you love A-teamers anymore? No, I do. I do. I do. Absolutely. Okay. It's you know, fine, sometimes it's the fine. family is big, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we must give others a chance to go in as well, you know, to deliver their phone comments to the I nation. I agree. I agree. <clears throat> I'm that type of a person I like to share, you know. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love who you are. So, yeah, um, what's, um, your, what's your thoughts here? I am very worried, you know, uh, in terms of the practicality around the independent candidates, especially when it comes to national. And we should not actually equate your national independent candidate and to that one of your local government. 
there will be a vast difference, for instance, in terms of having resources, in terms of having financial support, in terms of mobilizing, in fact, and campaigning for that matter. You know, currently we talk about how many thousands to secure a seat for a political party, and how many thousands are we going to need for an independent effect to secure uh, his or her own entrance into National Assembly, for instance, or provincial legislature, for instance, you know. Um, But to me, there is a, a political agenda. It's my own observation. I don't want anybody to agree with me with that. It's my own observation. Um, if you look as to who is actually encouraging people to stand as independent, um, there is Musa Maimani. And then the question is, is he going to um, to mobilize fund, funding or resources for, for your uh, independent candidates? If not, who's going to assist the independent candidates, for instance, to register, to make sure they are own uh, campaign is actually effective and will be yielding the desired uh, outcome. It's not a ploy, in fact, Siswam, to weaken. Uh, on the other side, I know it's a, it's a good move to see democracy in practice. But on the other side, there's this campaign of making sure the ANC is losing power 2024. And look who's going to support the independence, for instance. It's the same people that are saying the ANC must actually um, lose power 2024. <clears throat> Lastly, are we not going in a way to allow the poor independent uh, candidates to be sort of uh, used by those that want to achieve that type of an agenda? To be independent, to me, must be 100% independent and not account to a political party or a person who's got an ambition to actually kill the ANC 2024. That is what I wanted to input on. But over and above, democracy, uh, to me, is what we want to see happening. And I fully support an independent independent candidate, not an independent candidate of a person who's got an ambition. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pumzile, for joining in and giving us that thought. Um, we need to start wrapping up now, but I'm going to read these messages and then come back to you, Michael and Rachel. Uh, this one is from Farah, who says, instead of expecting and waiting for the president, a party man, to take the bill to the Constitutional Court, why not a civil society take it upon itself and directly challenge the bill at the Concord? We want independent accountable candidates. Another message uh, reads as follows. Good evening, Patricia, team and guests. Applying an eye for an eye is not really a solution, but the reason why people are venting in this fashion is because the law and courts are failing the communities. This is from Kintosh, who's in the Eastern Cape, uh, responding to a voice note that was sent to us. Here is a voice note again. Good evening, SAFM. If uh, I have power, I will create a robot, uh, more robots that will control the world because human race have failed. Oh. Not only in South Africa, all over the world. 
human race failed. Thank you. This is Van and Zamanda from Bangen. Yeah, you know what, but I'm just hearing that robot issue. We might have failed as a human race. There's one thing for certain, that robot is built and programmed by a human being. So, yeah, watch out there as well. I'm going to start with you, Rachel. You've heard the comments from our A-teamers. You've heard their concerns. I would like to hear your thoughts. Okay, so let me leave the technical aspects and perhaps the constitutional aspects to Mike. So... Coming back for the civil society organizations and part of the concerns we have around public participation. Look, if this was an easy process and the technicalities weren't as complex, we would have solved this much sooner and earlier on. And we wouldn't have had these back and forth with the portfolio committees and others. But the reality that we are facing is we do have voter apathy we do have low voter turnout, only 26-odd million citizens registered to vote. We have a higher number in the 14 millions of eligible voters in South Africa. Of those that registered, only about 12 million came out. So that's a response rate of, let's say, 45%. People are not interested to vote. Why? Either they feel that they are administrative or other barriers that keep them away, or they're not interested in politics, or they feel that there aren't really good options to choose from. Be that as it may, if you do not vote, you're not using your voice. So perhaps as one of the comments said, we should consider maybe even a system such as Australia, where it is compulsory to vote. So we need to get people to vote. We need people to get to use their voices. As civil society, we will not stop fighting this. If we think about, and our listeners, if you have a six-year-old in your house, a grade one learner, they are eligible to vote in the 2034 elections Mm. when they are 18. So the discussion starts now. It starts in your house. Don't discuss this a few months in advance of the elections when parties go on their campaigns and hand out things for free. Start with this discussion now when the children are in your home. So by the time they can vote, they are actually interested in their responsibility to be an active citizen. That is what we call for, to have active citizens in South Africa. That can effect change. So I'm going to quickly read this one before we come to you, uh, Michael. It's from Gabi's who's in Bloemfontein saying, Good evening, Sis Pat. My sister, politics will always determine our future and the future of our children. However, politics and politicians will never be the answer to the challenges we are facing. These guys, together with their political organizations, are the reason we are in this quagmire. Whether or not independent candidates or electoral reforms, none will ever change until we clean up the system. It is rotten to the core. Politicians have failed us completely, nothing left of them. Let's stop selling poor people imaginary dreams. So um, I'm coming to you, Michael, for for your uh, comments. Yes. In terms of directly challenging the constitutionality of the bill now, it just is not possible for any uh, like a civil society body to approach the court until that bill has been signed. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, it, there isn't a legal route to do that now in response to that question. And, and, you know, in terms of the prisoners and their vote, 
if I can say, uh, however controversial that choice is, uh, there are civil society groups that are looking at, at in mobilizing people to vote, which includes access to identity documents. And so those who are interested in standing for the rights of prisoners, you should perhaps be talking to those civil society bodies that are right now actively building a campaign to improve access to vote and to motivate people to vote. So if, if I may name names, the, the organization Ravonia Circle, even this last weekend held a major program looking mm -hmm. at this very issue. So for those who want to champion the rights of uh, prisoners, they should be getting in touch with the people who are doing this um, to, to work together on that. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I'd like to thank both of you for joining us. Michael, uh, thank you for your time and your insight. And Rachel, thank you for sharing the cause that you and uh, Alta are, are currently fighting around uh, this electoral amendment bill. It's been such a great pleasure having both of you. Thank, thank you. Very you. Much. Hey, teamers, it's 11 o'clock. It's time for us to go to the news with Greg Hose. Good evening, Greg.